Have you ever noticed how we're different and the same and the same and we're different and we're different and the same? All kinds of people, all kinds of people, all kinds of people in the world. Now, on the Talk of Muncie, WMUN, all kinds of people, hosted by Dr. Joe Mashevitz. Getting to know the people of Muncie and Delaware County, Indiana, in a way you've never heard before. It's another way we're using our voice to build our community from Woof Boom Radio and 92.5 FM, 1340 AM, WMUN. Here's your host, Dr. Joe. Hey, 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 everybody. Good morning, and I hope your week is off to a good start. It's Dr. Joe with all kinds of people on WMUN, the talk of Muncie. And I am absolutely delighted to have Mitch Isaacs come down to the Wolf Boom Studios today. Mitch, the executive director of the Schaefer Leadership Academy. Mitch, welcome to all kinds of people. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. The The song alone was worth the trip down to the studio. Yeah, that the was old fun. rock and roll song. I give Mr. Lindell a little credit for that as we... Uh, both listened to a variety of things and jumped on that one. So, yeah, good tune. <laughs> it's a good start to everything. I want <clears throat> to, we'll get into some of the things you're involved with and some of the board stuff and how you spend some of your free time. But I want to take you back, if you don't mind, to Green Forks, Indiana, <laughs> where we had in common the fact that we were only child, the only child in the family. And as I talked to Various people have brothers and sisters. I often think how cool it was to remain an only child. So <laughs> let's go back to Green Forks. I want to take you to elementary school. Okay. Bring back some memories of elementary school, things oh, you got man. into and tinkered with. And, oh, man. Yeah. So Green's Fork, I tell people, is exact three, three churches, one barn, no stoplight. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. It is smaller than Selma and maybe a little bit bigger than Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good description. Yeah, you know, it was... Um, it was a little bit like Mayberry uh, in the sense that everyone knew everyone. And uh, just two doors down was a woman named Frances Foland, who was kind of the matriarch of Greensfork, who had seen it change over, <clears throat> I think, 80-some years at that point in her life. Um, so the, the, the community was populated with people like Frances and other folks who kept an eye on myself and all the other kids running around. And, uh, you know, the, the, but the kids were like a community, the kids were like, a community. like they you know, were the in my day. Yeah. You know, the Netflix show, stranger things yeah. where the kids are riding their bikes around Hawkins, Indiana and, and fighting demons in the eighties and their parents have no clue. Yeah. That was Green's Fork. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was no, uh, supernatural stuff, but there were things like playing in the Creek that probably needed cleaned up and building forts out of corn stalks and having adventures in drainage uh, equipment and in woods and uh, playing on the baseball diamond so and, and the old fire station so it was not a it was not a wealthy community in terms of material but there was a lot of great opportunities to connect and get into a little trouble as a kid yeah good old baseball diamond I mean I what I hear you saying is that while you were the only child, Given the nature of the neighborhood, there were brothers and sisters all over the place to play with and get to know. There were. I mean, I think uh, you can relate to this, obviously. When you're an only child, uh, you make your own friends. You make your own family. You know, you really, your, your friends become your family. 
and you learn to forge relationships with all kinds of people, which is something that I think has carried me into today. And so Greens Fork was the, the training ground. Um, there were a lot of the kids I didn't always have things in common with, but we always found opportunities to connect and play because that's who was there, and, yeah. and I, it was just me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then let's move into high school, where I'm sure you got all A's, just like I did, thank you, and excelled in all sorts of things. But <clears throat> what was it like? So I did get, you're right, I did get all A's, and and I would love to tell you it was um, out of a zest and a spirit for academic achievement, and mostly it was out of fear of my mother. (laughs) So I was was the product. Mom and dad, but mom. Mom Mom and dad, I was the product of two factory workers. My dad was 20, my mom was 18 when I was born. First place I ever lived was actually a trailer. My dad won in a card game in Richmond, Indiana. And I bring all that up and I connect it back to academics to say um, they, this was the period in, in American life where those 30, 40 year factory jobs were starting to go away. And so my parents had a lot of anxi- economic anxiety working in blue collar manufacturing jobs and they didn't want that for me. And so there was uh, a lot of pressure, to be honest, on me to perform academically because, you know, like every parent, they wanted what was better for me. And so that, that showed up and yes, um, I did very well, but I was also involved in a number of things. And so, uh, Hagerstown high school is where I went to high school, very small school. So this was easy to do, but I was a three sport athlete. I, I swam, I played some football and I played some baseball at least for a couple of years in high school. And then I also worked at a place I'm pretty sure you've eaten Wellivers in Hagerstown which was my, it's now called Willie and Reds. That was my first job. We used to joke that they would not give you a high school diploma from Hagerstown High School without a pay stub from Wellivers. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked, I, I, I did pretty well in school and I was involved in a number of sports. Yeah, and um, when you mentioned the fact that the parents, my parents both were tool and die workers and mm-hmm. work on the line of Chrysler and the perception was you gotta get, get going in high school um, clearly that triggered that with you uh-huh. um, and then led to pursuing the degrees, um, both the bachelor's and the master's degree. Uh-huh. What was the shift with those degrees from history and political science into student affairs? Yeah. Because uh, I'm quite intrigued by how people make a transition from one degree to the next. Yeah, I, I really thought when I entered Ball State, I was convinced of a couple of things. I was going to teach high school history and government and, and marry my high school girlfriend and move back to Wayne County. And then a couple of years in at Ball State, I kind of seen the direction K through 12 education was going. And I, I didn't like what I was seeing. Um, and at the same time, I had gotten involved on campus and learned there was this whole field dedicated to working with college students that you don't necessarily have to be a professor. Um, there's other opportunities to impact students. And the whole reason I wanted to teach was I wanted to make an impact on students. And so my college student involvement really led me to um, look away from teaching high school and focus on working with college students. Okay. And what was that concern initially about where schools were going oh. <laughs> um, without a lot of detail, but sure, seriously. Sure. Well, I mean, it, you know, this was two, the year was 2000. It was my junior year at Ball State that I made the switch. And frankly, uh, the, the state started to add indi- additional requirements on teachers. Um, 
the the breaking point for me was there was an exam called the Praxis that is considered standard today, but was new back then. And when I was enrolled at Ball State, I was told I didn't have to take the Praxis to get into the teaching program. My SAT scores were high enough. And then my junior year, my academic advisor says, you haven't taken the Praxis. And I said, well, my SAT scores. And she said, well, the state's changed those regulations. So you now have to, you got to spend this money and take this test before you can start your classes. And that was just one of a number of things that I had seen um, as far as the state involvement and regulations. And this was about the time and no child left behind and the Bush administration and a few other things at the state level. And I just felt like I wanted the freedom to be able to work with students in the way I saw fit. Um, so on to Ball State, you spent 10 years at Ball State, if years. I'm close to being accurate with that. And five of those years, we kind of bumped into each other. You were the director of excellence and leadership program. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like, basically, putting that on your shoulders to set up a leadership program that had to prepare people, quote, to be leaders in a very changing environment? Uh, it was a it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of pressure. I really loved working with college students, um, especially student leaders. Same reason I love working with community leaders. They're often positive people who want to make change, and so that was great. Um, but there was pressure. The program was created by my vice president uh, about 20 years before I took it over, so she had some expectations. And then President Gora had some expectations of the program, and so uh, I enjoyed President Gora. <laughs> president yes. Gora, very yes. driven woman. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed what I got to do and the opportunities and the, the students I met and some of the people I met. Um, we've been with Mitch Isaacs, everybody, the executive director of the Schaefer Leadership Academy. And after this little break coming up, we're going to come back, Mitch, and talk a little bit about the Schaefer Leadership Academy and how you took some of the things from Ball State's leadership program that you were very involved with and bring them into the community of Muncie, Indiana, which has impacted a very wide range of people and companies as well. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We're with Mitch Isaacs, the executive director of the Schaefer Leadership Academy. And so, Mitch, um, 10 years at Ball State, um, heading up that excellence in leadership program, and kind of interesting that your next move is to go to Schaefer, mm -hmm. um, the Schaefer Leadership Academy, which has had a major impact on both people and companies in all of Indiana, basically. So how did that transition occur, do you think? Why would you leave the comfort and confines of a university <laughs> life <laughs> to all of a sudden say, okay, um, I got to make this all work and actually have to make a profit doing this now. What's going on? Will Davis, who was on the board of directors for Schaefer Leadership Academy, a asked, previous guest on our show, asked me that very same question when I was interviewing. Um, and I will tell you what I told him eight years ago. Uh, at the time, I was um, one of my jobs on campus was to find the freshmen who were struggling, who we didn't think were going to make it through. Right? So I did some student retention work. And, and as you know, um, oftentimes these students were just, they just needed help getting outside their comfort zone. You know, they, they were scared to talk to a professor. Somebody needed to encourage them. They right. were depressed and they needed to be encouraged to go to the counseling center. They were gay and they needed to be connected to the LGBT group. And often, by the way, as a professor, <laughs> when you tell a student to go see Mitch, well, okay, I might. And yeah. they just 
they were very hesitant to go share with anybody else. Very hesitant. So I was spending a lot of time telling 18 and 19 year olds, get outside your comfort zone, try something new and it'll be good for you. I was encouraged to apply for the job at Schaefer and I didn't want to do, I wanted to do it, but I wasn't going to do it. I knew nothing about running a not-for-profit. Um, I had no business experience. My predecessor, Richard Chris, really excellent business person. I'd been on the board for a year and that was about it. And the campus life is pretty cozy. I had, I'd actually was on my third job in 10 years. So I was a, I was a hall director. Then I got promoted this to excellence in leadership. And then I got promoted again to student retention. And so I, I had a career in a, that was that was moving in the right direction on top of all that but <clears throat> I realized if the whole reason I wasn't going to try this was because I was I was scared I couldn't do it hmm. and here I am telling 18 and 19 year olds get outside your comfort zone what a hypocrite I was if I didn't take my own advice. interesting perspective sir interesting yeah. yeah so you stepped outside that zone yes and jumped in to heading up Schaefer leadership um, developing a wide range of programs, adding staff. Um, what's it been like? It has been it has been a, a, a journey, and like anything important you do, uh, a learning experience. You know, I, I I don't forget who I was in 2015 and the, and how scared I was to do this, um, and and how I've gotten to do really cool things. This would be a good example, and many other things in the intervening eight years because I took this risk. And so it has taught me the value of taking risks um, and betting on yourself. And it's also given me perspective. I think when you are responsible for an organization, even a very small one like mine, and you're responsible not only for your families um, getting fed, but other people's families getting fed, you start to prioritize what matters real quick. And, um, you know, uh, it's been humbling. You know, I can, I, I'm a very confident person, sometimes a little too confident. And this job has humbled me in ways because it's helped give me perspective on, look, if you, if you want to succeed, if you want this organization to succeed, to do the work, and if you want the people that work with you um, to have work to do, you, you have to put things first things first. And so I've learned a lot. There's a lot more to learn. I hope I keep growing, but I, I certainly can look back and see how I've grown so far. Good insights. We're with Mitch Isaacs, everybody, the executive director of Schaefer Leadership. And um, I'm, I'm familiar with all the programs through Schaefer Leadership, have respect for all of them, but I do wonder how you make time on the side, <laughs> thank you, to be the president of the Muncie Action Plan, to be involved in the Indiana Leadership Association, to be on the board of directors of the Country Village, to be involved with Big Brothers, to be a member of the Burris Lab School. Okay, I'm done with all that list. <laughs> How do we shake all that out before we get into the fun you have with both Charlie and Wilson that I'll bring in? Thank you. Um, well, some of it really goes back to what we were talking about a little bit ago. Uh, I learned in high school to do a lot. You know, my parents expected a lot of me, so I learned how to be an honors student and be an athlete and keep a job. And so those things, I think that's that set a pattern for me of, of how to do multiple things and how to balance multiple things. I, I will say, as I've gotten older, I've, I'm starting to learn the value of the word no and starting to paring yeah. down some of the things I'm doing. But uh, I credit my parents and the lessons I learned as a teenager about how to do how to do a lot of different things at the same time. Yeah, we do share that in common. And I, I do, um, I mean, as you say that, I think saying no is important at times, but also as you were building out Schaefer Leadership, you almost had to get to know all these other organizations uh -huh. 
And then other organizations recognizing your skill sets got you more involved in that. Yeah. And so it'll be very interesting to see as the two boys, Charlie and Wilson, your two teenage boys, yes. um, continue to grow into their teenage years and require some time with you, uh, how many times you'll finally say, no, I got to do things with Charlie and Wilson, which will be cool. Yeah. Because I know you're very active with the two of them, especially, by the way, I'm kind of curious with comic book movies. What's, <laughs> what's this all about? <laughs> well, yeah, this is a tradition of ours. We go see pretty much every comic book movie. Um, and, it, and I've always been a fan of comic books back in way back in the 90s when it wasn't cool to like comic books. It was, it was what us nerd kids did. And so <laughs> and it's, the nerd kids, the nerd kids, it's been fun to watch it kind of reach the collective consciousness. And so when my boys were little, it was an easy thing to expose them to. It was an easy activity to do together. And so we go see all the movies and then we analyze every movie after we leave and talk about what it might mean for the next movie and how it compares to the comics and the moments we liked. And um what, what I really hope and what I think will happen is as they, as they look back on their childhood, they'll think about those experiences fondly and, and the connections and the, the time that we had together doing those kinds of things. So do you think there's any kind of camera equipment and audio equipment around? It's the three of you are going to start creating your own little, <laughs> <laughs> well, little comic book movie? <laughs> it's funny you say that. My oldest has gotten into uh, – Burris has an excellent broadcasting program. They do. And he's gotten very involved and in, in getting some opportunities to do some really cool things. And he's at a digital storytelling camp at Ball State right now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> at, through CCIM. Dr. We may Joe. be looking at the Isaacs uh, Film Company it's coming possible. down the road. Down it's the road possible. Pretty soon. Um, also, I'm aware of the fact that when it comes to football, hmm. uh, you've got the Colts gear on all the time and are really supportive of that. What What brings that about? Besides the fact that we obviously live in the state that has a professional team, but we keep coming back to family today. Um, you know, my parents worked a lot, and one of the few things that we always did together was we spent Sunday afternoons watching football. My mom would make ungodly, unhealthy food, and we would sit on the couch and watch football. And so that is something that has carried me through from childhood. Again, uh, allow me to just say my mom made ungodly food on Sundays, good old Polish food. Uh-huh. And Dad and I watched the Detroit Lions all the time back, oh. back in the day. So. Well, you, you, you would need a little bit of divine intervention while watching yeah, the, I, De- I understand. <laughs> the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, curious about your involvement with your neighborhood association mm-hmm. because they just finished a big project. Yeah. Um, what got you involved in that, and what was that like working with the neighborhood? Uh, I care about where I live, and I wanted to make an impact. And so I had an opportunity for a number of years to work with some great people. And that that we built a playground, $125,000. took us about three and a half, four years to make that happen. And, uh, you know, my goal is to leave a place better than I found it. And so I think with the Neighborhood Association, we've been able to do things like that. Yeah. What do you think, um, as we start winding down, what do you think are a couple leadership challenges in the future? Yeah, well, um, I think one of them is the uh, just how fluid society and economics have become, especially since the pandemic. And so the word um, pivot has been used ad nauseum during the pandemic, but the need to be dynamic and change hasn't gone away. 
And the need to focus on people, I think, has only gotten greater. Uh, the nature of work, I think, is starting to become more interrelational and less process-driven, although process matters. And so I think the leaders who can focus on people um, can get the job done. I think it's going to be very challenging to focus on people, too, given technology use uh -huh. <laughs> and maybe the lack of time one needs to actually talk to somebody and send texts and things. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, too. Real challenges. Uh, we've been with Mitch Isaacs, everybody, the executive director of Schaefer Leadership.